From WCL Pure, this is One Ocean. Hey everyone, Reese here. Today, we're going to learn how an Australian surfer led Harvard University to go green. Leith Sharp is an Australian and a surfer who started her career in sustainability as an activist college student. She made her way to the United States with nothing but her guitar, and she came here to learn more about sustainability. But in a turn of events, she ended up quickly becoming the expert in sustainability at Harvard University. Through her career there, Leith helped guide Harvard to become the world's largest green campus organization. Leith now shares her knowledge through an executive course for sustainability leaders across all sectors, from Fortune 500 companies to tiny nonprofits. The class is raved about by her students, and I should know because I'm one of them. We spoke immediately after I finished the week-long intensive about how to implement change within your organization, how to achieve sustainability flow state, and how important it is to get the vibe right. Of all professors I've ever had, Leith gets the vibe right. And I think her teachings are relevant for anyone out there trying to make positive change. All right, here's Leith Sharp. How do you introduce yourself? Depends. (laughs) Um, Yeah, my name's Leith Sharp, and I'm the director and lead faculty for a program called Executive Education for Sustainability Leadership at the Harvard School of Public Health. Leith, it's awesome to be here. Thanks, Reese. It's, it's really great. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you uh, have an incredible story. You reach so many interesting people. We're here at Harvard. You're teaching, you know, bright minds. I just went through the course with you. Yeah. So inspired. But you're also a surfer. I am. <laughs> I am. A little bit of a deprived one right now, but I am. I think all surfers would say they're deprived That's surfers. That's true. <laughs> There are very few surfers who say, like, I'm I'm too rich with waves. <laughs> That's true. I've not ever heard one say that either. <laughs> <laughs> too much surfing, said no one. Um, but you're a surfer. You're from Australia. Yeah. W- whereabouts? Uh, just south of Sydney, um, a little a little hamlet called Main Bar, right near Bundina in the Royal National Park. Nice. My home surf beach is Gary Beach. Nice. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a wild beach, that one. And when you say home, you mean from childhood or do you mean yeah. this now still? Do you, you, yeah. You're kind of, you live in two countries kind of, right? Yeah, 50-50. So I get, I get my dream. Gary. Yeah, I follow summer now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's great. That's amazing. So tell us more about that spot and that surf scene. Yeah, so it's in the national park there. So it's it's relatively unpopulated, so you can get a lot of waves to yourself. But it's also a really don't, exposed don't, beach. Don't give it away. Oh, no, I just did. <laughs> oh. For the millions of listeners. <laughs> but yeah, well, maybe this will turn them back off again. It's a really wild beach. The banks change all the time. The wind kicks up really quickly by late morning. And um, yeah, it's a, it's just got massive amount of energy because it's just right out there and exposed. Yeah. Uh, nice south end and north end um, break as well as various breaks in the middle there. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And so, and then you're here in Massachusetts part of the year, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And if I can manage it, if conditions are right and you can see a wave coming and plan to grab, you know, rent a car or borrow a car, it's usually an hour or two drive. So it's a bit more of a saga to pull right. that off, but I can get a wave over here. And you know what I've noticed is over here in New England, so we're up north, four hours north of New York City is Boston. Yeah. Um, there's a good wave within an hour or two, you know, north or south, but it's really a different wave. It's a lot more gentle. So I'd be in the bottom quarter percentile of the surfers at, at Gary, but I'm like straight up to the top 
(laughs) It's really good for my surf ego to come and just try to have a little surf here sometimes. There's a little Australian surf flex right there. You're like, yeah, you know, down home I'm average, but here I'm a boss. (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. Um, Do you you, you ever surf Cape Cod? I have. Yeah. Still? Um, I stopped because the rips and the side current, I mean, it just was too much work. But not the sharks? No, not because of the sharks. Yeah. No, I'm not worried about them. It's their house. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they come and visit us all the time. We have no idea. 100%. Plus, of all the ways to go, I actually think it's a bit of a ripper. Excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be. Um, you know, honestly, I, I feel similarly. You know, yeah, it's kind of really? like, well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We're a part of nature. I had a really interesting conversation with a guest uh, recently, Adam Skolnick. He's an author and yeah. he's an open water swimmer. Yep. And he's like, you know, most sports you go out, you do your sport and that's that. But yeah. with open water swimming and surfing, you become part of the food chain. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's awesome. Just a really interesting way to think about that. Yep. You know? And you know your body's going to kick in all of that you know, adrenaline and shock and you probably won't feel that much pain while you bleed out in 20 seconds and it's just long enough. 20 seconds is just long enough to like do a good life review, uh, realize how tops it was, how lucky you've been and then lights out. I think it's great. (laughs) Well, I hope that doesn't happen anytime soon. Yeah. Um, It's funny that you bring that up because we weren't at the same table for dinner the other night. Yeah. But I did hear that you were recounting a story about surfing where was it kind of near death yeah well so this is why i can honestly say i'm okay with going with a shark because i actually nearly died with um, a surfboard strike to the head which knocked me out and there wasn't anyone else around where were you well this is the problem i was going to gary my home beach but there was road work which i wasn't expecting so then i kept going down to stanwall park which i hadn't surfed at So I wasn't as familiar with the banks or conditions or anything. So I went out, had an awesome session, no one around, good size, was paddling in but the tide had gone way out and there was one of those waves that washes back from the beach when the bank's so steep when the the waves crash on it and then they sweep back. Yep. Well, when I got to the shallow part where I had to ditch the board just to get through all the, the wash there, a back wave picked the board up and just as I was coming up out of the water for a breath, slammed it straight into my face. Literally, I broke a board on my face. <laughs> and well, and then so. Sorry to laugh at that. No, but. that's okay. <laughs> and this is pre iPhone. No one caught it on video. No, no, there no wasn't one put it anyone on Cook around. Of the Day I did Cook take Slams. a photo of the carnage that resulted. Yeah. Um, yeah, but. Uh, so you take a board to the face, then take what a happens? Board, yeah, then. So it knocks things, you out? Well, then, like, it's all a split-second thing, right? So right. I, I get hit. I'm I'm not even sure what that was. I didn't even have my eyes open yet. And I get this slam to the face right on my chin, luckily. Mm-hmm. And then lights start going out. Literally, I'm fading out. So I have a breath left. And I realize that this is my last breath. I'm passing out in the water now. So I ha- I get to be in the last moment of my life. I'm totally in it. And um, the first thing that I felt was awe, surprise and and humour at how freaking easy it is to die. Like one minute you're just paddling along, just chilling at the beach and the next minute it's like suddenly you're dying. Yeah. It's a pretty sudden comedic like collision of 
um, reality there. But then uh, the next split second, I started. I started preparing. Like, oh no, I am. This is the lights are going out. Is that enough? Was that enough life? And it was more this exploration, just split second stuff of I need to accept this. That this was enough. And I flashed through the experiences of life that I'd had, and I just felt actually I just felt incredible gratitude that I'd had an experience as a sentient human with a life that had a lot of freedom and a lot of love and a lot of like just authenticity, a lot of adventure, but a lot of love. And then this sense of acceptance came upon me and then I remember my parents and all of a sudden I wasn't willing to accept them going through this. So at that point something in my body, I got very very panicky about that and something kicked in. I don't know quite how this all worked but the next thing I found myself like basically crawling up on the sand. Wow. Yeah, I made it. That's amazing. Yeah. So I'm figuring like if I found getting hit in the face with a board, kind of if it gave me a sense of awe and gratitude, I think getting hit by a shark is going to be even more awe. (laughs) (laughs) That's an incredible outlook. My wife would disagree, but, um, you know, that's an incredible outlook. I hope it doesn't happen, at least not anytime soon, because you do really important work. Oh, thank you. Um, I kind of knew that already coming into this week, but now having gone through the course with you, I mean, you are creating leaders in sustainability and giving them even more purpose and drive and inspiring them and and more tools to use in their organizations. And it's so, so powerful. So we need you around. Well, thank you. (laughs) I mean, I I love, thank you. And I'm grateful for that sentiment. My observation is not so much that I'm creating anything as that we're creating, we're holding a space for some potential in humans to witness itself and to be experienced and known and expressed. And um, and then these leaders create their own awesomeness. Yeah, that's yeah. super cool. I, I was so moved by so much of the class. Yeah. Um, I've never been in a class that had so much participation and everyone's energy. Granted, we're adults and we're opting into this versus school where you're kind of like, you got to listen to this person. Mm. But it was just great to see that kind of level of participation and yeah. everyone's just into it. And I think you, you're humble, but you were at the hub of that. Everyone's so into you and like just feeding off of your energy. You brought so much good energy to the room that allowed everyone to kind of bring their best self to the class. And, you know, it's a psychological safety like you yeah. talked about. But maybe we, let's just back up. Sure. And what is this class? Yeah, uh, good, yeah. <laughs> you so, know, because right now I, I have all the context of what it was. So um, yep. for those listening, what's a good summary of yep. the course? Well, so we're here at, at Harvard University in Boston. I am um, supported through Harvard's School of Public Health. Uh, and a particular professor, Jack Spengler, hosts my uh, program here in the School of Public Health. And the program is a five-day residential intensive that I've designed specifically for people that are inspired and purpose-driven and have a really big change agenda driving them passionately. Climate change, diversity, inclusion, inequity, soil, oceans, whatever it is, If you're a person out there and you're on that kind of journey, that calling to make that kind of contribution to the world, it's hard work and you're facing a lot of resistance, a lot of exhaustion. This is designed to give you refuge for a week and rejuvenate you and also it's a place for stories and the recognition of the patterns in the work and 
there are very, very powerful and effective ways to start reducing the friction in these journeys and these experiences that we've collectively surfaced and noticed. And this is a place to come and gain insight and actually even realize your own unconscious competence already in getting into flow with this work. It's so it's funny to hear you. I think that was a great descriptor. It's funny to hear you use uh, refuge and rejuvenate because it sounds like a spa. It's like, ah, oh, so nice <laughs> because the course itself was actually pretty intense. I mean, we were pretty full on every day. You just a second ago were saying how you're like after a good surf session, you're exhausted but stoked. Yes. You know, um, it was pretty intense. I mean, we went full on. We had yeah. stuff at night just kind of digging in and there's like emotional work and then you're digging into all these challenges. But it mm. really was rejuvenating in that. It enabled us to find peers and build a network and yeah. have other and go, oh, that's what you're struggling with? I'm struggling with something similar. Yeah. And it's really powerful to create that within our little pod. And I love yeah. that we were called a pod because yeah. dolphins are rad. Um, <laughs> but, you know, within our little pod, we found a lot of sort of empathy for one another and great space to think about, okay, how do we how do we take what we've learned here back and how do I address that issue at work with this, this department that I'm not getting along with or whatever yeah. it is? And that's really empowering. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was fantastic. It's it's an intense program, but it's like the difference between um, the exhaustion you feel when you're trying to do statistics or crack a big math problem and you're working day in, day out and you never get the answer. That's really tiring and not energizing. If you're working just as hard, but you keep getting the answer and then you move on to the next problem and you keep getting the answer and then you find another solution and another solution, you're still working just as hard, but you're getting this like massive energy lift from cracking it over yeah. and over again. And that's what this program does for people. So they're working really hard, but they're having that experience of like cracking things that have been blocked and understanding things that they've been disoriented by and making sense of things in ways that give them confidence and empowerment to go back in to the systems, to the stakeholders, to the organisations and have another good crack at it because now they see a path they can see what moves to bust so that's the how can it be that demanding but also that energizing it's all in the, it's not like a good surf sesh it's like if you go out and all you're doing is you're just paddling against these bloody rips and you never get a good wave but another surf sesh you have lots of rips to paddle but you get good waves it's no problem you just pumped yeah. you can just keep going and going totally that's that's basically the equivalent. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the rips because um, I lived in New York for a long time and surfed Rockaway Beach and Long Beach. And those are all jetties. And when the storms come, they're very rippy, right? Yeah. I mean, you yeah. basically just have to paddle to stay in place. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I mean, we, we had a couple sessions in Long Beach where we were swept a mile in 30 minutes, you know, yeah. down the beach, just yeah. like that. Mm. And those se sessions are so frustrating. Yeah. So, so frustrating. But yeah. when you get those one or two waves, I can think back to a hurricane uh, season from a couple of years ago. I think it was Hermine. Man, I got a couple of waves that just energized me for the next couple months, you yeah. know, uh, it's so funny. And that's what I feel like this week was. It was just caught a couple of really great waves, good team, mm -hmm. feeling really excited to get back to work and trying to drive our agenda forward. Yep. Yeah. 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 Well, if we can get more people out there, you know, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> Um, catching awesome waves that are in their workplace, in their communities, in their nonprofits, their local governments, in their schools, their hospitals, their churches. If they can be out there basically catching sustainability waves and riding those and having great outcomes, little victories go a long way, actually. 
And big victories, though. I mean, you know, not to divulge too much of the course content or people who are in it, but I think Mothers Out Front would be okay with it because they've yeah. been very public about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mothers Out Front is this incredible organization, and we heard their story. Yep. You know, talking about their work. Yep. And f- seeing that from the nonprofit perspective, from what we're doing, I was just blown away by their work. Oh, yeah. And their strategic moves about, all right, how do we get these stakeholders to the table? Yeah. How do we get them to listen to us? How do we make an opponent an ally? Yeah. And how powerful that can be. Oh, uh, it's insane. That collaboration, there's a couple of community activist groups, Heat, Mothers Out Front, and some others. And when you really burrow down, there's like one or two people that are basically world surf champions of sustainability (laughs) basically they know how to find the energy and ride it no matter what complexity they're able to perceive the next moves and it's got a lot to do with and this is where we can all think about the movie the castle the vibe the vibe it's really about creating the vibe and creating it wherever you are and then um knowing what moves to make every step of the way inside the vibe yeah, yeah. You played a scene from that movie, and I cracked right up. It's pretty great. <laughs> you want to watch it again? I'm it? going to. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Amazing. Um, <laughs> so now you're talking about all this, and you're an expert in this. What made you an expert? You have a background of doing this actual work before you mm. became faculty. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you were doing this work here at Harvard. Yep. You have an environmental engineering degree, I believe, right? Uh, yep. Uni New South yep. Wales. Yeah. And then, you know, can you talk a little bit about your career and some of the, the work you did that got you to here? Yeah, sure. I, yeah, I did the um, environmental engineering degree at UNSW while surfing. Maroubra Beach was my beach Maroubra, at that time. That's where I surfed when I was really? at Union New South Wales. Oh. I did a semester there, yeah. You did? Yep. Yeah, I was and there. And I luckily didn't have any problems with the Bra Boys. Well, see, that was the thing. Like, people would always say, like, oh, the Bra Boys are down there and it's all epic. And the, really, what all that happened was they created cheap rent. Like we just had the best lowest rent in oh, wow. Maroubs for the longest time because of that sort yeah. of the optics of the bra boys being this ever-present threat. But I, my mate used to give them yoga sessions in the mornings <laughs> and like they yeah. were, yeah, they were, Sunny who was the head of the bra boys, yeah, it was all, it was all. Yeah, I was an American knucklehead study abroad student and I never had an issue. It's just a matter of being a human being and recognizing space and, yeah. you know, don't come in and try and yeah. stomp on someone's local wave and be a yeah. jerk. You just kind of recognize and respect and then yeah. you earn respect and yeah, true. never had an issue. Uh, well, you know. see, that's the same as the vibe that you got to set up for sustainability. It's like all about that mutual respect, understanding some of the simple rules that we've all agreed on to keep everything, you know, cool for everyone. You know who gets vibe, right? Hey. Tahiti as a country. Oh. When you paddle out in Tahiti, yeah. I was there a few months ago, and you paddle out, you're meant to go shake people's hands. And oh. local Tahitians will come up and just shake your hand in the water. It's not just a hey, a wave. It's yeah. literally paddle right up to each person in the lineup, shake hands. And look you in the eye. Yeah. So like, it just, hey, yeah. I see you. I know you're here. I, you know, just being wow. seen is such a powerful thing. And I thought that was so fantastic. That's brilliant. Because now it's, hey, we're all out here. You know, we're yeah. all in this together. Okay, yeah. cool. You know, and that's probably reduces drop-ins and all that stuff. I thought really? it was one of the coolest things. Wow. That is, yeah. I haven't brilliant. tried it in at Venice Breakwater yet <laughs> where I surf in LA, but maybe. <laughs> I think I need a couple of Confederates on my side. We'll think about that. Um, back to your experience. Yeah. You so, yeah, Maruba was the beach. Um, then I was recruited by UNSW to head up their sustainability office for five years. And I was happy with that because I, I loved that break. And then at that point, I got 
awarded a Churchill Fellowship to go study abroad. This topic of sustainability, particularly in universities, like what were universities doing? Because we were amassing massive global environmental and social issues. So I travelled around Europe and the US um, looking at best practices and actually didn't find many and the work that we'd and done. When was this? Where was this the rough was, time yeah, frame? 1998, 1999. So we'd set up a program at UNSW and we were composting all the kitchen waste. We were we had a greenhouse gas commitment. We were doing wow. some green building Super stuff. Super progressive. We created at the time. an ecosystem. Yeah, an ecocenter for like training people on renewable energy systems, permaculture gardens transportation planning project carpooling recycling green office programs we had set all this up thinking and as you do in i think often islands and i know australia is a big island but we're still like you always tend to think oh everyone else must have it figured out and if i can go over to the mainland of europe and north america and that that i'll learn more and that's but what I found when I started going around unis all over the world was they started asking me. I'd come to them to ask, what are you up to over here? And they'd tell me and I'd be like, oh, what else? And the, I'd have like an hour or two meeting with them booked and we'd be out of something to talk about, you know, within half an hour. So then they'd <laughs> probably out of politeness would ask me, what have we been up to? And I'd start laying it on them and they'd be like, oh, wow. <laughs> so then... They started um, inviting me to present at conferences and stuff. And I didn't pack the clothes for that because I thought I was the one to learn. Um, but I started doing presentations. And as a result of one of the presentations, somebody invited me to come and give one at Harvard. So I'd run out of money. I was literally sleeping out of my guitar case in bus shelters <laughs> if I needed Is to. Is that why you're such a good performer? <laughs> for for Leith performed the other night there was an open mic session and i was very impressed with your performances because you had to get good to make yeah, money to I've survive to, yes. were you busking around you know, I've, I've always had a backup plan in case everything <laughs> would fall to shit because one of the things you have to do in the sustainability space is you got to be willing to take some risks like surfing if you want to push yourself you got to take a bit of a steeper drop you know you got to yep. get beyond your comfort zone otherwise it's status quo with tiny incremental improvements so one of the important things about if you're going to up your own risk taking, you got to have a backup plan, you know. And for surfing, your backup plan is it's okay, it's just water. That's what's, what I'm yeah. going to fall on, which is great. Um, Still hurts sometimes. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, but in your career, your backup plan, you know, thinking about your finances, not getting into too much debt, keeping yourself flexible so that you can afford to take some calculated risks and push your organization, push your community more. So yeah, music was always like, I knew I could get about 20 bucks an hour <laughs> if it came down to That's it. That's amazing. So many people I think would set music as the the stretch goal, right? Like shoot for music and then the yeah. backup plan is like, oh, I'll go get a job in <laughs> academia or whatever. And you've, you've flipped it so yeah, yeah, right yeah. away. It's um, for the backup. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
Very cool. So you, yeah. you came and you spoke at Harvard. Yeah. Well, so I was out like when they invited me, it was a funny story because they asked if I'd come and I was all the way over the other side of the country by then and I'd run out of money. So I said, oh, yeah, I'll totally come. But can you fund the travel? And they wrote back this woman. She was lovely. She was actually that um, professor, one of his staff. So her name was Kumkum. And she wrote to me, she wrote back and she said, no, we don't have a budget for that. So I wrote back to her and said, no, nah, I can't do it then. So then she writes me back. She's like, no, no, you don't understand. It's Harvest, an amazing opportunity. You really should come and do this because what you've got to share with them is exactly what they need. And I wrote back and I said, yeah, but I'm like, my, I'm, I've just got a bag full of basically torn, dirty laundry and no money. So I'm saying no. And she wrote back and said, look, I'll put you up in my son's room. I'll feed you. I'll pick you up from the train. La, 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 la. So now I'm feeling like she's putting out so much. I'm like, oh, okay. So then I get this terrible, cheap bus greyhound all across the country. It's like 48 hours of. Wow. Yeah. Right up the back near the toilet. And (laughs) so I get here and sure enough, she picks me up puts me in a son's room his nose is a little out of joint but he's nice about it and then they bring me to Harvard Faculty Club the next morning and I'm seriously like my clothing is appalling and I walk in and I have this really Australian response because in Australia all the universities are pretty equal like Mm. in a sense like there's nothing like the equivalent of the Ivy League with that very elite institution. I mean, the big eight like to think they're elite, whatever, but it's nothing like the level of elite university. And I walk into the Harvard Faculty Club with all of its antique furnishings and I go into the room where we're having this meeting and it's this little sustainability committee that's been meeting for a year or two and they're getting served like a massive hot breakfast with silverware and cloth. Were you pocketing rolls for later? (laughs) (laughs) I would have been right there with you. Like, whole inventory of this situation. Eat while you can, get it. Yeah, yeah. But I couldn't help but have that classic Aussie response of like, what a pack of wankers. And I immediately was like, I can't wait to get out of this place. And I've come all the way. So then the meeting starts and the whole thing runs out. And I notice on the agenda, the whole thing runs over schedule and And it's 15 minutes before everyone is going to leave. And I notice I'm not even on the schedule. And so now I'm getting a little like frustrated, not only wankers, but annoying. And then Kumkum, the woman who uh, hosted me, she jumps up and she interrupts and cuts off the person that's going on and on and on to say, no, look, I've got a surprise. I know I'm meant to be next on the agenda, but I'm giving my agenda item to this Australian woman that I found at this conference and I really think we should listen to her. Over to you. So then I just lay out what we did at UNSW, all the programs that we went through. And the next, then they, they're like, a couple of the guys in the room are like, well, will you come back and talk more at breakfast with us tomorrow here? Free brekkie. Free brekkie. I'm like, yeah, free brekkie, <laughs> sure. And I come back and for two hours they're peppering me with questions and they've brought a couple more people and they do these weird things that they're asking me questions and I answer and then they're looking at each other and making faces and nodding and whatever and I'm just thinking, God, these people are weird. And then all of a sudden Jack... <laughs> gets up, who now I know very, very well. He's very beloved to me. He gets up and he's like, well, listen, Leith, like I've got to run, but and we don't have the money and we don't have a job description for you, but would you be interested in coming over and setting up what you set up at, at the UNSW? Would you set that up here? And, and if you say yes now, I'll go and figure out a visa and some money to pay you and, and a job description. And I was like, oh, 
Well, you know, like a lot of us like to live abroad for a year or two and I was heading home and I didn't have a job lined up or anything. So I thought, oh, just think about it overnight. And so I called my parents, you know, and then, of course, I was like, oh, yeah, I may as well have a year abroad. This would be great. And um, so that started the Harvard sort of process. A year abroad. A year it was abroad. supposed to be a year abroad and it turned into 20-something. 20, 20 years now. 20 years. 20. And you've been on a tear. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. you you have created I've been mean, on a tear. I've been a bit torn. It's <laughs> not. <laughs> that happens in this work, but I mean, you know, some of your accomplishments, this is the most lead certified buildings for any university in the world, right? Yeah. Gold yeah. and Yeah, it's done really platinum great. And yeah, good series of sustainability commitments well underway now at Harvard. Yeah, yeah it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um yeah. and all under your direction basically. I mean, when well, you started you gave the story, it was kind of like you it, we built a to... fabulous team. That first eight or nine years, we booted it up. And for the last 10 years, it's been under the leadership of Heather Hendrickson and it's continued to expand, grow across the university. It's a, yeah, it's, it's in the fabric, it's in the DNA of Harvard. That's amazing. Yeah. I think that really speaks to what we've all been learning, which is, um, you know, building something and empowering others and creating that adaptive network. And, you know, it's impossible for Leith and I to explain to you listeners uh, <laughs> the entire course in the matter of minutes, but building that adaptive network and then empowering others to see things to scale. Yeah, it's true. Um, what we've noticed is it doesn't matter what sector you're working in, whether it's business or higher ed, K through like primary school, you name it, churches, um, military. We see the same patterns turning up over and over again in, that correlate to when you try to take a new idea from inception to scale, you then you're committing to a journey. And that journey is full of unknowns. There's lots of ups and downs, sideways, pivots. And uh, what We've mapped over 2,000 of those journeys where we've had people break down all the moves that they made in the journey from inception to scale. And then we've been able to perceive by mapping 2,000 journeys, how do I get, and, say... And for, for people, so a journey would be yeah. a, a leader in a business trying to get a new project built or trying to shift an organizational... Yeah. Right, in a new direction. It could be anything from like trying to get your organization to use energy-efficient equipment to launching an ocean cleanup program yeah. to transforming your whole local government to be climate neutral or beyond. Yeah. It could be any of that. It and could be just trying to change the toilet paper to be recycled. Like well, you use the example of uh, changing the light bulbs at Harvard, um, yeah. which was just hilarious. Yeah. Um, but it was a great story. And then the moves, just so that people understand the kind of verbiage we're using, the moves being pitching to your CEO, to your senior management team, you know, yeah. getting more stakeholders engaged. It's kind of the internal business moves and tactics. And what I was impressed by is, like you're saying, you can you can use it for anything. Yep. But you've chosen right. to focus it on sustainability. Yep. And I think there's something really special there. And I also think that you as a surfer, I mean, you're talking about flow. Yeah. You're talking about a lot of, you use a lot of language that as yeah. the, the lone or one of maybe two or three people who have ever surfed in the room out of 70 odd students. I was yeah. like, she's speaking my language here. And I don't yeah. know if that comes from surfing or not, mm. if there's any intention behind it or if it's just the right word to use. But mm. I was getting it from you. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's woven right through. And so my question is being, why did you choose to focus on sustainability? Is that because what you knew? Yeah, well, when I, my first year at, at uni, so I'm 19, uh, environmental engineering, I get this 
awesome lecturer, this awesome professor, Ronnie Harding at UNSW, and she do, she ran the first subject. This is now, we're talking 1992. She walks in the room and basically lays out all of the sustainability and social problems that humanity has already kind of got this backlog on and the trends going forward. And it paints a really clear and evidence-based picture of the future of humankind being an extinction event. And there's just no other way to see the science. In 1992, it was already evident. It was so clear. Yeah. And as a 19-year-old, I had two responses emotionally was, what the hell? Like, why am I only hearing about this now? <laughs> How, why? Just like Greta, like this yeah. sense of like, why isn't this the only thing we're talking about? I right. just couldn't get my head around it. And then the second, well, and with that response, part of it was, and why is this university not behaving like that matters? Like the lights are left on all day and the polluting cars on campus and the energy being wasted and the, all, all of the behaviours around me were behaviours of pure couldn't give a shit about any of this, right? And this is a university that's meant to be a place where we learn about what matters. Right. So I had like a, that. This is at U- UNSW, you're UNSW saying. UNSW right. in 1992. So it created a real sense of despair about, wow, the adults do not have their hand on the steering wheel. They clearly do not. So then the, the other emotion I had as a 19-year-old was, what power do I have? Like, I don't have any power. Like, they've got all the power and they're not even paying attention and certainly not doing any of the behaviours and I don't have any power. And now this is like, now I can't not see this. I could not not see it. So and the next three years of my student career were three years of student activism, forests, paddling out against nuclear ships, all that kind of stuff. If there was a protest that I could get in and amongst, we totally did it. We jumped off the uni buildings and hung banners all over them. We, like, did whatever we could. Like, all the all the young people that felt that, was like, well, we don't have formal power, but we can try to make noise wherever we can. And at some point I was noticing that not a lot was happening as a result of that. And so then I was voted in by the student union to be the first, one of the first um, student union environmental officers. And then I started working on the university specifically. And I saw some early victories. We got them to do carpooling, permaculture garden, and we got them to do an environment policy and to hire someone full time to implement their environment policy. And that felt better to me of like, oh, I can get some little victories in this. So it shifted the arena of my activism to be inside institutions. And I was very passionate about higher ed because this is the place that is meant to be focused on the knowledge that matters and to give us uh, an opportunity in our lives to be, to engage with the knowledge that matters and to really to change our, you know, change course as humans, like we come to university as an opportunity to liberate ourselves and think about the world differently and make decisions about our own future. So for me, if higher ed wasn't doing anything, then society was just totally screwed. Like now since then I've been working in the business sector and also government and other sectors realising that actually every sector is totally critical to this journey. The question that that raises for me is, or the things that I, I pull out of that are mm. you, one, you made a conscious choice 
you mm. thought about your career and said, okay, how do I have an impact? Which is mm. really important. I think so many of us get so busy and we just take opportunity that comes our way and we don't make that conscious choice. Mm. And then two, I did want to talk about your activism because the Australian community has been very active. I don't know, did you see any of the fight for the bite last year and the great Australian bite and the drilling campaign that Equinor has? Uh, I've oh. been out of the loop over Oh my there. goodness. They've Tell got me. you holed yeah. up in a library up here and um, yeah, you, you're right. missing out yeah. back home. Um, basically, the great Australian bite, whole mm. southern coastline, et cetera, that whole beautiful area is under threat from drilling mm. from an oil company, a foreign oil company of all yeah. things. Yeah. And the Australian surf community really rallied against it last year and yeah. or all of this year. I mean, they've just been holding paddle outs and being super active and it's been super inspiring to see. Yeah. And we try to support that from the WSL side because we thought this is amazing. We want to support this awesome. activism. And I think yep. in general, we're in support of the activists who are doing incredible work. I mean, you look at what Greta has done. Yeah. That's so it's so important. Inspiring. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's really, it's an interesting time to be a part of this. And I think that's one of the things that keeps me going is like, yeah, things are pretty bad, but there's possibility, there's opportunity, there's a chance for us to work on this. And there's so many great people working on it. So that yeah. kind of keeps me going and excited. Yeah. 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 I feel like I'm coming full circle back around to the power and importance of activism you know, and I'm I'm feeling like within the next couple of years, there's just something so energizing around like put your body in it. Like, yeah, it's it is like become so part of the like food become, chain. Yeah, become part of the food chain. Like, yeah, go and stand up. Like, go and be a voice. Go and get in the way. Yeah, get in the way of the shitty system. Slow it down a bit while we can like bust a different move yeah we do need more activism this is a good time to put the accelerator on that because i think at this time um as you alluded to this this is a moment where that could really make a bigger difference than it's been able to for a while huge yeah I mean, this next year, you look at it, we've got an American election, uh, then there'll be another Brazilian election, et cetera. Um, you've got, and that's relevant to the Paris climate yeah. agreements, et cetera. You've got the UN voting on the convention for uh, biodiversity, I think, next year. I yeah. mean, there's some big decisions being made yeah. at the government level, and that's really, really important. Yeah. And sometimes people think, well, how does my vote to this election matter? It's like, well, if we had a different person in office, mm. we would still be a part of the Paris Accord, which would put pressure on some of those other large companies to continue to hit their goals. Like we are all in this together. There's yeah. there's no will be fine, you know, everyone else is, you know, can deal with it. Mm. Yes, Western countries and countries that have money will be better off, yeah. but we're all in this together. Yeah. Like climate yeah. change doesn't care. Just like the ocean doesn't care about who you are, what's you know, like the ocean does not care about you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it feeds us, it gives us oxygen. Yeah. But it doesn't actually, yeah. despite every time I'm paddling out and I'm having a hard time and I'm like, man, why is the ocean giving me such a hard time? Yeah, it's not, it's not going to change what it's doing just because we're finding right. it. Right, this stuff is happening. One of the things about surfing that I think is so powerful and important is here's, in terms of the energetic mix of that, like you have the surf stoke that basically pulls you back no matter what. Like you'll go to all lengths to just get a few seconds of that totally. plus like the hours of the beauty. But there's also like the reality is any session that you have is it's work. Like you got to put energy out and there's a lot of uncertainty. You got to make calculated, you know, decisions constantly and then you might get a few seconds of like right in that flow there. And that I think is what um, we need. Like, And here's the thing, like surfers 
If you think about how awesome surfing is, you would kind of wish that everybody could have that in their life. And I truly see and believe that getting involved in the sustainability adventure in the right way is just like surfing energetically. You find the thing that you love, like it might be organic food, it might be going after inequality, inclusion, it might be getting involved with getting better bike paths, it might be whatever it is, but you find the thing that sets off like a love in, in you that like, oh, it'd be so good if we had that. That becomes the stoke that you're now pursuing and then you prepare yourself for the paddle and the rips you know and then you get working because that creates just like surfing like it sets up an energy experience in your body and you meet these amazing other people that have woken up like that Um, and then that changes your life as well so I think the connection for me between surfing and this work is having that experience in my body of like when you combine the stoke with like good, honest work towards getting a bit of that flow, your quality of life, like your experience as a human is just elevated. So I want like everyone to think like not sustainability isn't this massive burden and oh fuck, we've got to do all this like hard work, la la la. Instead, like it's an adventure. It's an amazing place to be generative and creative and and express and make amazing contributions in the world and to get into experiences with other people that are basically wild adventures. And when you can relate to it like that, and that's what this program tries to do here, gets you into that, it kind of gets you into a surfing relationship with with the sustainability enterprise. That's awesome and so well said, and I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, the phrase that it brought to mind when you're talking about that good hard work and uh, that feeling, and I can't remember who said this or where I heard it, but it's good work done well for the right reasons. Yeah. And it's just like a really great way to summarize it, you know, like good work, hard work, and when you do it right and do it well and with shared purpose, it's just yeah. super powerful. With this, And it comes with a super tasty, like, it's just tasty. tasty. Like it, it's really it. good. Yeah. Like, but it takes relating to it in the right way. For sure. Um, now, we did talk about biomimicry in the course. Mm. I know that we can't maybe explain all of it, and it's hard because we can't imitate animals here on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> unless you have a good bird call that you want to do. But Well, yeah, to see, that's the difference. So right there, you've gotten on to one of the misunderstandings of biomimicry. It's not <laughs> imitating. It's emulating, which is... It's about, firstly, which I think is easy for a lot of surfers, to embrace the world around us. Nature is full of genius. Like it's got so much genius in it. So we're surrounded by genius as our um, biomimicry experts, Dana Baumeister and Janine Benyus will tell you, we're surrounded by genius. And then it's like this humbling ourselves to be mentored by that genius, which then means paying attention and noticing it differently. So we've got a dominant culture at the moment that thinks of nature basically as a resource, kind of like a supermarket that we just go and rip out the resources and then chuck our trash back in it. That's our relationship. Now, surfers don't like we've gotten beyond that because we're in the ocean and we feel the majestic kind of dynamics and the complexity of the systems out there and we feel in our body what it's like as a human to interact and to be in that relationship with the waves 
you have to be humble and pay attention and notice and get into flow there. Um, and we need to be expanding that mindset to notice nature's genius in all the other places and ways. So all the organisms that have incredible superpowers that we could be learning from, all the ecosystems, it's astounding. I mean, Aussie termites have figured out how to naturally heat and cool massive buildings. They're buildings. They figured so that cool. out ages ago. Yeah, We could be designing our buildings around that. Mangroves, incredible we could be learning so much from how mangroves, how resilient they are. Mangroves are hit by massive storm forces and they actually move. They can slowly migrate as they need to over time. They just sort of move with the – a mangrove seed can float around there in the ocean under all of those forces for three or four years just waiting for the for perfect context to turn up. Yeah, astounding. Like That's incredible. How's that? Yeah. What could we learn from spider webs? Don't get me even started on spiders. Totally. And spider webs. Unbelievable. Spider web, pound for pound, way stronger than steel. Why is it that we haven't figured out how to make that kind of material? Because we've got these organisms all around us that have figured out these things. Totally. And there's there are applications that are both, you know, directly to like a product, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. So with the whale, like the humpback whale, the tubercles, I think it yeah. was, and yeah. that how how that can improve fan design to create more power, less resistance. Yep. It's kind of like direct directly mimicking that in a physical sense but there are also lessons learned in terms of how we interoperate with our within our business right yeah. like the yeah. feeling sensing sort of okay you know i'm feeling my environment here i'm getting this back from the environment and now how do i you know adapt and change yeah and so there's like actually human things that we can do just in our daily lives that are i need to be mimicking this and the, yep. the one that i tried to you know bring home today for everybody was just I, my love of organisms that uh, transcend an environment you know mm, like a flying that fish beautiful, yeah. the, that goes from i'm in the ocean and then i go up in the air and i, I come back down or yeah. you know gannets and shear waters and you know they exist up here in the air but they can go below the surface and yep. swim yep. catch a fish and then come back up i just think yep. that is mind-blowing yep. um and it's something i try to think about okay how do i how do I transcend a surface sometimes or an atmosphere? Yeah. I don't know if that, yeah, am does. I doing it right? Yeah, professor? because, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Cause like I can see how you could apply that, uh, Reese, to, you know, when you work with big stakeholder systems, when you try to pull off like a massive campaign, like, you know, one of your ocean campaigns there, you're going to be trying to bridge across really diverse stakeholders government, industry, nonprofit, kids, adults, lots of different cultures. And that is like kind of going in between really different atmospheres or contexts and like how do you shapeshift to kind of meet people where they are and not get so attached to your way of seeing the world. Be flexible yeah. to be schooled by different diverse perspectives so that then you can be connecting, you know, and finding all the common ground moving together forward. That's a perfect example to emulate that capacity. Cool. Great. Because I've my favorite animal, uh, favorite bird has always been the osprey. So oh, I've wow. always loved the osprey. I think they're incredible. Yeah. Like growing up on Cape Cod with osprey nests in the salt marshes, I think is just, they're just yeah. awesome. Anyway. So majestic. Um, so you're not old. Uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you've been doing this a long time, but you're 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 not old. But we did have a question from. Uh, I kind of sourced some questions, and there was one question that mm. somebody else you're in the ask class. Me how old I am? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> okay. It's a tougher question. Oh. What are you going to do when you retire? Oh no, I've already retired five times. <laughs> I have something called distributed retirement. 
I'm like, why wait to the end? <laughs> I mean, there's no guarantee that, you know, comes Shark, 60, any, 60, any exactly, day. Exactly. Surfboard to the face. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I've got this thing every five to ten years I have what I call a year on. It, other people call it a year off. Right. But for me, it's a year on because it's a year that's unstructured. doesn't mean I'm not working or anything, but whatever happens, I didn't plan it. So I have a year of unplanned on. I'm just on. I just sense and go with like whatever turns up. What do you What do you mean? So like, I mean, so you're still working, but is that research or is that teaching? No, or is no, that... I, I cut ties with right. whatever my employment is at that time. Okay. I'll just say, no, nah, I'm, I'm leaving that now. But it's so. not like a formal sabbatical? No, it's like. I quit. But then you come back? Yeah, but I don't know back to where okay. is the mystery. So after UNSW, like, so after the year before I went to uni, I had a year on. Did a lot of, like, played a lot of jazz, discovered that becoming a jazz musician was a sure way to misery <laughs> and switched to engineering. And then after engineering, um, got that job for five years, then I quit. Mm -hmm. Then I had a year on, another my second year on. And I did the Harvard thing. And this was intentional from the first five years? Uh, or is it more in hindsight that it, you've done it, it and now? Correlated, it seems to correlate to when I feel really tired. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. So after like What that, year are you in the cycle right now? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm nearly ready for a year on. So yeah, wow. I'm fi actually I might be starting a year on in December. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll still do the exec ed, but see, that's a part-time thing. Yeah, okay. And um. But everything else, I'm stopping. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so going back to the question, and the question yeah. came with the intention of so many people kind of work and work and work and then try to find purpose in their retirement. Oh. And you already have a lot of purpose in your work. I try to find work. retirement in my purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you're just flipping it. Totally. You know, musician is the backup plan. <laughs> retirement in my purpose. That's it. I guess just flipping the script is, is that's that's what we need to do. It's incredible. Well, yeah, we all get to make it up if we want to. Okay, so you partially retire every five years, but what? Five to ten years. Five to ten, so okay. So it could be eight or nine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Interesting. So, yeah, you, so there's no retirement plan in sight. There's no thought of what I want to do next. No. And I'm not surprised by that. No. Like really. You have to feel like, it out. And see, I interview everyone before they come to this program and I ask them to tell me the story of them. And what I get out of that is they'll tell me these journeys they've been on since off, sometimes in, since school and then uni and then all the different roles they've taken. And what you get, what you start to understand is that very few of us, a plan actually works out, you know, with your career and that what works out more is having a sense of purpose and being open and noticing the serendipity around you and, and rolling with that. Like getting, you know, having someone randomly invite me over to Harvard and then like pursue me to do it. I said no, you know, and then she pulled me over and that, that was a life-changing trajectory. Even the Churchill Fellowship, I didn't actually, like they turned me down. They said, no, you don't get one. And then somebody sponsored an extra slot and they just come back and said, well, you, you're the only one that is vaguely related to what they want. And even this exec ed program that uh, we've set up here was only possible because, you know, Jack's here and he's like, yeah, right. I'll host you again. So none of it's been planned. You can only plan your surf so much. At the end of the day, you're taking what the ocean gives you. Totally the same. You cannot plan what wave, like, I mean, imagine if you tried to set your agenda, your surfing agenda 
oh, 10 minutes after I paddled out, I'm going to catch that wave. <laughs> and then 15 minutes later, I'm going to catch one that's like five foot and going this direction. Yeah, it's like that. Mine's it's more ridiculous. Like, five minutes out, I'll get burned by someone better than me. Uh, 10 minutes out, I will <laughs> wipe out. Then my wife will drop in on me, deservedly, because she's better uh, as a surfer than I am. Um, but no, you're right. You have to just adapt. I mean, the, the, the quote that a friend once told me, actually, this was a teacher in high school, said, life is the interruptions, not the space in between. Mm. And we're so busy planning our life and like trying to be on our track. Mm. And those interruptions, those things that pop in, and it's like, oh, wait a second. What? I mean, this is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I got my role at the WSL because I clicked on a LinkedIn email. Oh, awesome. And I just happened to see it. And I went, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. You yeah. Know? Yeah, and I'm so glad you've got that role oh, too. Oh, thanks. What? Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to see what you do next. Yeah, we've got some. We've got a lot of ambition. We're really excited. Um, yeah. I think I'm super energized coming out of this course, and yeah. um, can't wait to. You know, we've got some plans for 2020 that we're pretty excited about. Yeah. Um, yeah, just more and more and more. So you're gonna help get like help support the surfers to have a big voice. For sure. Yeah. yeah they have too. so much power. They reach their, their audience and it's so authentic. And so the more I can help, you know, keep them up to speed on what's going on and empower them to speak yeah. to their fans, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, as a league, we have a role to play in our own sustainability and what we're doing as, as a nonprofit, as WSL Pure, we have a role to play. Yeah. And we have a lot of partners too. And that's the big thing is, yeah. you know, if we can get some of our, our partners at the WSL on board mm. and, and many of them are and want to support, if we can find ways to amplify what we're doing and do bigger projects, it's yeah. super exciting. So that's the type of work that I'm, I'm yeah. figuring out now. Because you've got the big asset right there. You've got the vibe, right? <laughs> We've like, got the who vibe. Who doesn't want to be like, it's surfing connected with surfing and surfers and everything that that's about yeah. or almost everything that that's about yeah yeah true <laughs> fair um yeah what are you most excited about in the year ahead mm. or maybe your year on um year on yeah yeah well we're noticing there are amazing change makers out there in the world that are pulling together that are experiencing powerful stories that, that are transforming systems. You mentioned the example of those women in this community that have literally engaged the utilities to get off fossil fuels and over a two, three-year period have really done some powerful work. And so in watching those stories and, and pulling them out, I see how the paradigm could be about to shift in terms of what we think good leadership is and what we think good business is. I feel that we're we're very close to a threshold moment of redefining the nature of leadership and redefining how we co-create our organizations. That's going to unleash an enormous amount of latent human potential that is the equivalent of the surf, the maximum surf stoke kind of, we want everyone to be in that high energy kind of state. And that sounds like a pipe dream, except that you saw it in this program. These were 80 people that had never met each other. And by the end of five days, they couldn't have been like, they were such good friends, such good mates and lifelong mates and lots of collaborations. With zero trust falls. You no, know? we didn't have to do no trust, trust falls. falls. None of that. We were in a classroom, <laughs> but we didn't have to go out, you know, and do any. You did have to do open mic night. Surprise. We did. Yeah, many people did do open <laughs> mic night and I was very impressed. There were some talented individuals. Yeah. And not talented and it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it really didn't matter. <laughs> That's because you created the right vibe. And there That's was right. that, we that the vibe. sort of, um, a, you know, yeah. psychological safety. Everyone knew we were all in it together. Yeah. We're all just humans. Yeah. 
So I'm excited about the human potential that can be unleashed, but it's tempered. I'm not just excited. I'm also terrified and I also feel a lot of grief around all the suffering that's going on out there in the communities and in the parts of the world that are locked out of having access to capital and good water and good food and those responsibilities loom large on all of us. And so it's that sense of I feel a lot of that responsibility and a lot of it's this kind of tension between that that sense of responsibility I know like the surfing community because we get out to some remote areas and we see the poverty that still exists out there in the world and we all have a responsibility to keep our awareness about our, our lives might be cushy but we have that responsibility to stay aware that yeah that there's a lot of people out there that have nowhere near the opportunities yet and we've got to get to that while we figure out a way to clean up the mess here and while we turn to nature's genius and we unleash our own potential because we've got so much human potential that's been kind of locked down for too long. We get creativity, energy, connection and get that flowing. Well, I think you're doing an amazing job of unlocking a lot of human potential in this course and in your day-to-day. Leith, I I can't say thank you enough for the class and for your time here today. This is really, really uh, special. Yeah, awesome. I hope we get a wave together one day. Yeah, for sure. And your year on. (laughs) Yeah. You surf more in your year on? Yeah, I do. Awesome. Cool. Let's go for a surf. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, Leith. Okay. See ya. Thanks again to Leith for her time, energy, and knowledge. We recorded this conversation back in October, and since then it's been so energizing and inspiring to see some of my fellow classmates demonstrate some incredible sustainability efforts at their companies. If you wanna learn more about Leith, check out the show notes. We also link to a great video primer on biomimicry, which is just rad. And we link to our friends at Mothers Out Front who are doing amazing work mobilizing for a livable climate. If you enjoyed the show, please take a quick second to subscribe, rate, and review it. Your ratings and reviews really help the show get discovered and help us reach more people with conversations about how to live more sustainably. Thanks again to our friends at Outer Known for supporting the show. And if you're in need of some good threads, don't forget the promo code OCEAN for 25% off. Finally, if you're waiting around for our Flotsam and Jetsam segment, we split it out into its own mini podcast. We'll be dropping these in the same feed. So if you're subscribed, you should see those episodes covering the latest in ocean news in quick little segments. Thanks again for listening and don't be shy. Find us online at WSLPure and at WSLPure.org or email us at oneocean at WSLPure.org and tell us about your sustainability challenges. Okay, until next time.